Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. I am joined by Tarek. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and Garrett. Hello, everyone. And uh, today we're talking about uh, first-time gun ownership. We're going to cover it in a little bit of detail from a couple of different perspectives. We're going to talk about the, the legal side, which is where you need to start. Uh, we're going to talk about selecting your, your first gun, um, the training that you should hopefully attend when you get your firearm, um, essential equipment that you need to acquire before you start carrying that gun, uh, a little bit of the testing that you should probably be doing on that firearm before you start trusting it for carry, and then being a first-time carrier, things like stop tugging at your shirt. Um, T-Bag, do you want to lead us in with the uh, the legal side? So to, to license a firearm in South Africa, there's a couple of things you need to do. The first is that you need to do... Um, you need to to do competency to own a firearm. So so that involves doing proficiency training with an instructor, uh, with a with a registered school, um, and then that's what allows you to apply for competency. It's the first step, and it's the first step a lot of people get wrong. A lot of people, when they try and look for competency, go, "Who's the cheapest and the quickest?" Um, and you know the, the the problem is it's it's like with any other skill. You know, that which is learned first is often learned best. Uh, so people go to, to schools that are just going to push them through as quickly as they can. I would suggest finding a school that's actually going to teach you the material in those manuals. Um, there's a lot of good material in them, but sadly, a lot of people try and just sort of push through it as quickly as they can so that they can write the test, do the shoot, and take it from there. So you need to do your proficiency. Um once you've done that, uh, you'll if you pass, you'll get a certificate and a, and a statement of results from the, the PFDC, the Professional Firearms Trainers Council. And with that, you can now go apply for competency at your police station. And competency is sort of the check to make sure that you don't have any a criminal record or anything like that. So you'll fill out the forms. They'll want to chat to some uh, character references. And different stations, sadly, have different rules. Some of them expect three people to come out of their busy day um, and and come through to the station. Some just want written. Some want to speak to people on the phone. Some people, some want one. Uh, you're going to find have to find out what your station and and the designated firearms officer at your station wants. So you know if you, if you live in area X, you need to see the station closest to where you live. And if that has a designated firearms officer, they, that's where you need to apply. You're not doing yourself any favors lecturing them on the law. Um, sometimes it just really helps to kind of, even if they have some strange requirements, to put up with it. But you're going to need to go in with the character references. They're going to, they, you're going to need copies of, of your proficiency certificates and your statement of results. They're going to do fingerprints in that, and that'll go to CFR, Central Firearms Register, and that takes about three or four months uh, to turn around. Only once you've got competency, and competency is is broken down into categories. So when you do it, there's a legal test, which is for, for all, all parts of it. And then there's handgun competency, shotgun competency, manually operated rifles competency, and self-loading rifle competency. My advice to you is, if possible, try and do all of them. But there's also black powder as well. Um, try and do all of them. You know, the amount of people I know who went, I'm just going to buy a hunting rifle or I'm just going to buy a pistol or whatever, bought that and discovered that they quite like this. And now they go, well, 
I bought a pistol. Now I want to get a, a hunting rifle. I want to get a shotgun or whatever. And now I've got to go through the the whole competency thing again. Um, it's it's just it's a bit of a pain in the backside, time wise. And if you can go do do all of the the different categories at the same time, so that you've got the competency. It's going to cost you a little bit more when you do the proficiency, uh, but you can apply for one competency for everything. Once you've once your competency is approved and They've used to be a card, then they gave you a printout. I believe they're giving you a card again now. Now you can go apply for your license. So to do that, you have to apply for a license for a specific firearm. Uh, you can't say, I want a license for a 9 mil pistol or a Glock 40 pistol or whatever. You need to go to a gun shop, buy your gun. They'll give you the forms that you now need to apply for that gun. You'll need to fill out your section of the forms. Um, you need to write a motivation or, or, or get a professional to write your motivation uh, as to why you need that firearm. Because remember, in South Africa, we don't have a right to own firearms. It's a privilege here, uh, which means you need to justify every gun you're going to own. If you if you want to own a gun, you need to justify why you need a license for that. It's not as onerous as people make out. It's not. It's not impossible. It's not... If you don't have a criminal record and you can show um, that you've got a use for that firearm and you've got a safe and all of that, uh, you should get your gun. So you'll need to you'll need to write a motivation and and if you once again if you're going to get someone to write your motivation for you, try and find someone with a good track record. Uh, you know, if you're going to get someone to assist and you're going to pay someone money for that, don't just once again find out whoever's cheapest or, or whatever. Try and find someone with a good track record. Uh, if it's for self-defense, you're going to need to show why no other means of self-defense is is going to work for you, which is pretty simple to do. Um, and you're going to want supporting documents for whatever it is. So if it's self-defense, crime statistics, case numbers, that sort of thing. If it's sport, they're generally going to want endorsements and, and proof of club membership. And you know that that's going to depend on what you're using the gun for. Before you can apply for that, you're going to have to fill out those forms, get all your sporting documents. You're going to have to purchase the safe uh, that the gun can fit in, and you're going to have to fit that safe securely in your house. You can't anymore promise that you'll get a safe if you get a license. You used to be able to do that, and unfortunately, people pulled the piss a little bit. So now you need to have a safe fitted. Um, Your station may expect you to bring uh, pictures of your safe set up. They may come inspect it. that's once again going to depend on, on on your particular station and their workload. Then you can go apply for the firearm, and you're going to pay 140 rand uh, when you apply. They're going to take your fingerprints again. Generally, they're going to um, take the forms. They they may ask for other documents, and you know sometimes some police stations will will want more documents, and sometimes that helps as well. So it, it might be something that CFR is and then, unfortunately, there's a wait. Uh, it's supposed to be under 90 working days. Uh, with the, the Rona pandemic, those have been dragged out pretty dramatically. Um, but generally, you're looking at, at around 90 working days for your license to be approved. Sadly, license approval doesn't mean you can have your gun. Uh, only once your license card is printed and in your hand can you now go to the gun shop or the private person you bought your gun from and go uh, go collect it from them. So picking up on, on what T said, uh, the cost of a competency application is 70 Rand um, per application. So if you combine all 
if you combine legal plus the four subclasses, if we ignore uh, collectors and, and, and black powder for a moment, well, we're probably going to ignore them completely for this, for the, for the aim of this. But if we ignore those, if you do your, your law plus your, your four firearm types at the same time, that's a 70 Rand application and it's a once off roughly four month wait. Uh, if you do them separately, if you do law plus one of the others, and then you do the three others separately, that's 70 Rand every time plus a four month wait roughly every time, plus the need to have character witnesses uh, go back in to state that they're okay with you owning firearms, essentially. Um, they will not grant you a, an additional competency um, without that requirement being met. So despite the fact that you have existing competency and you've already proved that you are competent, acquiring additional competency requires ex exactly those same steps. Um, the other thing that Tarek said was it'll cost you a little bit more if you do all the competencies in one go from a training perspective, so for, for the proficiency training. That is true in absolute money terms. So you're going to spend more money out of your pocket in one go. However, you usually get some form of discount, group buy bundle discount price, uh, if you do all four with the same instructor at the same time. Um, so even though it's going from, I'm going to throw numbers out. These are not real numbers. These are made up numbers. You can't hold anyone to these. But let's say- Flugan, Flugan, Flugan. There we go. So that is a made up number. Let's say, <laughs> let's say it costs you one ton of cat food to do your law plus handgun. I've just decided I'm not going to use actual currency because someone's going to get fucked somewhere. Uh, so it costs you one ton of, of cat food to do your competency for one module plus law. It'll cost you four tons of cat food to do them individually, but it'll probably only cost you two and a half or three tons uh, to do them all combined. So you're ahead, not just in time and money going to SAPs for the, for the actual competency application, but you're ahead on proficiency training as well. And tasty, tasty cat food. <laughs> And tasty, tasty cat food. You get to whatever you don't spend, you you get to you get to eat. You get to keep it. <laughs> make make sure just a, a couple of things. Sometimes people get a bit confused about. Make sure that your character witnesses are honest. Um, don't don't lie. Uh, you know that that's one of those things that can come back and bite you. Um, so be honest. And, and when you're filling out the forms. If you've paid an admission of guilt fine, not a traffic fine, but if you've paid an admission of guilt fine for something or you, you, you have some sort of arrest or conviction or something, if the form asks, answer it honestly. Um, what you don't want to do is now be in a position where you've lied on the form uh, because that can, that can turn around and bite you as well. So don't bullshit. Um, and if, if you've got something that... Is is relatively minor, but that can interfere with you getting a getting a, a competency. Once again, go speak to a, an, an attorney who knows what they're doing um, and get some advice. You know, spend 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 the money for an hour of their time uh, and and find out what the situation is, rather than sometimes that's cheaper than doing all of this and discovering that you can't get competency or you can, but you need to do X, Y, or Z first. Exactly. So I'll link to an article that I wrote. I don't know a number of years ago uh, it's it's posted on paratus uh, around owning firearms if you are a uh, if you suffer from depression uh, or you have other mental health issues and how to effectively apply for competencies with that uh, and be granted competency now, no one can guarantee that you're going to be granted competency everyone's situation is going to be slightly different but it covers some of the key aspects so that you don't end up lying on your competency to get through that um it's not necessary to lie. You can absolutely own firearms despite depression. 
um, provided that you yourself and your character witnesses feel that it's safe for you to do it. Um, that's a big provisio. Um, so I'm going to do a shout out to, to Max uh, for motivations. Uh, hey, Max. There we go. He actually hey, has a good Max. track record. Um, I've used them for a couple of my applications and have had great success. I know some other people who have used them. Uh, he, he's, he's competent in, in, the, uh, in the area of providing motivations for firearms, and he, he does appeals. So if you end up getting screwed somewhere and, and you need to appeal, uh, he is able to, to take that on. He is, a, he is a, a, a legal professional. He's not just some dude who's writing motivations in his spare time. Even though he is writing motivations in his spare time. <laughs> so you can find him at Motivus, M-O-T-I-V-U-S. Just look that up on, uh, on Facebook and you'll, you'll get to Max. The other thing to notice throughout this process, when you have applications um, that have been submitted and they're at the CFR or pending approval, those kinds of things, whether it's your competency or your licenses, you can contact the CFR to find out the process or the progress on your application, whether it's competency or a license at that time. So keep that in mind as well. With it being a long wait, it is a good idea to keep tabs on it and see that it is moving and going through the system. They've now added a, a functionality on the SAP's website where you can actually check online as well. So you oh, don't even need awesome. to phone anymore. That's um, neat. Yeah, you go, onto, you go onto the SAP's website, you click flash, uh, and then there's the thing about uh, waiting for licenses or something. You click on that, you put in the license reference number, um, which uh, you should get the, the SMS um, when your, your station loads the, uh, the application. You put that in and your ID number, and it'll tell you when last it was worked on, what stage it's in. Um, so it is actually quite a nice functionality that they've added. That's, that's pretty that's neat. Good. Now you can use the interwebs instead of having to phone them. Yeah. 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 Sometimes the, the wait was painful trying to get through. And then sometimes I think sometimes the info was perhaps not quite as up to date as was claimed. Um, that was being provided to you on the phone. We'll just leave it at that. Um. <laughs> so, no, the, the new system seems to work pretty well. So awesome. credit where credit is due. That That is absolutely. A, you can check whenever you want about about your licenses. I think if you don't have the the reference number, I think you can use a serial number. Um, so that's something to bear in mind. Uh, awesome. You, you can may or may not get text messages along the way about the, uh, the status. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. That's one of those things. Uh, and bear in mind, especially at the moment, your station is probably going to take a little bit longer to capture apps than previously. Because DFOs are, while there are civilian clerks in, in the offices as well, there are also um, uniformed police. And especially like over the, 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 the Rona, the zombie, the zombie apocalypse, they were doing outside police duty as well. So uh, just something to bear in mind. There are probably going to be longer delays at the moment and, and for the foreseeable future than, than normal. Hopefully that doesn't take too long, but it is what it is. Exactly. If you if you can't, I, I haven't seen this functionality, but if you can't look up with the serial number, you can certainly call CFR and ask them to quote your reference number over the phone. Um, there is a check using your, your ID number and things to make sure that you are who you are. Um, but once they've done that, uh, I'm sure that they will be happy to, to quote your reference number, which you can then use if you take it down in future to just look online. Um, I think that's, that's a fantastic step forward. 100%. Um, so just... On the submission of applications, um, our DFO, D Tarek and I have the same DFO. Um, I'm not sure about other stations. I've never applied anywhere else. Um, 
our DFO has a little checklist that they print out for you that uh, before you do any applications, despite how many I have done there, I always swing by and I pick up a fresh copy. Uh, I don't rely on my old copy because I have had instances where the information has changed. Terry says that he does. Uh, I've had inf- instances where the, the information that was required had changed and they had to drive back home to go fetch some additional stuff. Not major, but I'd rather just have the stuff and submit when I get to the front of the line waiting at the DFO than, uh, than needing to, uh, to go back home and then get back in the queue. Uh, on that, our DFO currently doesn't make appointments for, for seeing you. You just rock up during their, their actual office hours, but there are lots of DFOs across the country that require you to make an appointment to see them. That is perfectly reasonable, and it probably helps cut down on their workload a little bit with having to deal with a lot of people at one go and trying to manage everyone's expectations. If you need to make an appointment, that's no biggie. Just make an appointment, show up for it on time. Uh, that's, that shouldn't be a deal breaker for anyone. Uh, it's probably more convenient because you know when you're going to be seen. Um, so use it. A um, couple, couple of things as well when you do that app. Um, generally, they're going to want certified copies of things you'd like, of like your ID. If you have copies of anything, make sure that they're certified. Uh, the 70 Rand for your competence app, the 140 Rand for a license app, or the 70 Rand for a renewal needs to be paid in cash at the station, not check, not credit card, not uh, colored beads or a sheep. Um, so make sure you go in with cash. And what I would suggest is try and go in with exact change. Uh, sometimes they don't have change uh, and they can't accept it if they can't give you change. Um, so it's generally a better idea if possible, to go in with 140 rand in cash, and that's per app. So if you're applying for three guns, you're going to need 140 rand times three, um, and I would suggest taking that in and try and take exact cash if you can. Yeah, yeah I, I've got that with my DFOs. My, my police station doesn't necessarily offer change, so if you don't have the exact amount, you need to make a plan. So, so that's, a good, that's a good point. Just on that, if, you, if you're applying for multiple guns, go with exact change for each. Don't go with the the ultimate amount in exact amount because they sometimes they're unable to take one of your applications um, for for various reasons. Uh, but it doesn't help when you go for exact money for three apps and you don't have a way to make the exact amount for two apps that you end up actually submitting. So try and take 140 rand. I, I have little plastic sleeves that I stick my my uh, motivations in independently, so I know that everything's in there. And I, I just have Glock filters. Terry mm-hmm. has Glock folders. I have a Glock folder now too from, from some recent apps. So I'm going to be using that. The Glock folders, yeah, the Glock folders work like a... They look awesome. Um, I just put the money in there. So 140 Rand per app and there's 140 Rand that is with that app. And I also put copies of my... Not copies. I put a set of photographs. You need uh, passport photographs, color photographs. Uh, color for photographs, each application. Yeah. Uh, I just put... The correct, I think it's three at the moment, but I uh, don't quote me. Two, two. Oh, sorry, my, my last one was a competency plus firearms applications, which is why it was three. Um, two per Yeah, but there was three because I had a, an additional thing in there. Um, so two per app, make sure that you... You have one thing, when I have not mind an additional one. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Moving quickly along. Tarek is, is highly, highly, highly on my thing at the moment on these podcasts. <laughs> He's obsessed. I mean, you guys I, I, have I, a I thing going. I'd abuse Gaz more if he spoke. Uh, <laughs> this is true. It's really difficult to like, you know, yeah. Gaz, talk. <laughs> yeah. Remember, uh, remember as well that your station is probably not going to be able to make photocopies for you. Mm, so not, don't, I wouldn't don't go, go with, with the rigid. 
probably I would go with definitely. I haven't found well, yeah. a PlayStation yet that yeah. was willing to do that for me. So don't um, go in with all your originals and think you're going to make copies there. Yeah. Um, what I like to do is I like to get all my certified stuff certified a day or two before I go and hand in the actual application because sometimes the wait to get stuff certified can be a little bit long. Um, that's not necessary. You, you can do all of it in one day. Just bear in mind that you're going to be waiting for a while, uh, potentially. Um, the other thing is, and this might be different per station, but ours at least don't bind your applications in any way. No fancy folders that you hand them over in, no fancy clips, no getting your auntie who binds books for a living to bind it with her fancy string. None of that stuff. Loose pieces of paper because they're probably going to shuffle the order in which you have those pieces of paper. Um, our DFO, my enterics, I find that if you follow the, the checklist that they have and you put things in that exact order, they won't mess with the order because it's already how they want it. Um, that doesn't, that isn't necessarily true for other stations. So loose pieces of paper, have some way that you can keep them all together, but hand them over as loose pieces of paper. Um, something else that you could probably do beforehand that I always forget. Um, again, this is our station. I'm not sure if they all need it. Uh, we have to write our initials, surname, and ID number on the back of all photos. So yeah, if you same my side. Okay, so it, it might actually be a, a, a countrywide a thing. thing. Yes. Um, if you can pre-do that, it, it's a little bit of a ball ache writing on a little photo in the middle of an office that's busy. Um, does that cover the uh, the legal side? We've hit everything. I think that covers most things. Take take yeah. Make sure you've got paperwork to back up everything you say. Um, there's no point getting irate and losing your shit if they can't help you or if they want an extra piece of document or whatever. Um, it's not going to do you any good. Uh, you you need to uh, kind of – and if you scream and swear at your DFO, they can very well write on that app. Um, we don't recommend approval. So yep. don't try and do anything clever. Um, and, and if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you're a relatively adult human being but i'm going to tell you this anyway if anyone tells you that they have someone who can help you fast track the system run away um, do not try and do anything don't offer anyone money if anyone wants any money over above over and above the legally mandated amounts of money do not pay it do not be that person it will turn around and bite you in the backside um, i'll say one more thing on that don't go to your dfo with a cold drink or anything else um most of them will decline to take it from you, uh, but don't be that guy. A nice gesture can easily be seen as something that it is or isn't. Um, don't take anything with the intention of handing it over to anyone unless it's your app or the exact amount of money that you need to do your application, and that is generally not handed over. I say generally because, again, I haven't applied it to the stations, but that's, that's usually handed over to a cashier in a different part of the police station and not directly to the DFO. They do not handle yeah. money, in my experience. Like I said, there might be small stations somewhere in the country where that is different. But for the vast majority, there's going to be a cashier somewhere that, that handles money. Um, make sure that you get a duplicate of your uh, receipt. One you hand back to your DFO before you leave, uh, and the other one you keep. Be sure to keep that thing safe uh, because if your application goes missing, I don't know how, how frequently that happens these days, but... I know of people who have lost applications. If that goes missing, that is your little bit of proof to say that you have handed it in. Um, and you may end up having to resubmit anyway, but you might get slightly fast-tracked because you can prove that you had your app in previously. Um, don't, don't take that as a guarantee, but just 
keep that thing safe. It is important. Um, same thing with, and this is this is slightly off the beaten track. In fact, this is not. Let's just mention this. When you get your card, make sure that you record your expiry date for your firearm somewhere that will remind you in duplicates. So put it in two calendars. Get it tattooed on your left buttock and your wife will tell you. Doesn't matter. Tarek's like, Tarek looks like he did the right. Yeah. Rookie mistake. <laughs> I was going to point out that you did it on your right, but I didn't want to embarrass you. Yeah, but you guys in your thing, I eh? can't tell because I only see it in the mirror, so it looks like it's the left. <laughs> so they're inverted. So then it's also written from right to left instead of left to right, so you can read it in the mirror. <laughs> Luckily, it expires on the 22nd of the 2nd of the 20s. Yeah, no, I'm fucked. <laughs> Another uh, good thing to do is keep copies of your applications. Um, some shops, when you purchase a firearm, will give you uh, completely originals. You won't get soft copy applications. Make sure that you get a copy of that and keep that on your side of things as well, just in case you need it. Yep. Because if you resubmit, you will need those forms again. And if you only had one set while you... The, the dealer will, will help you, but it's going to add delays to, to the whole process. Um, so the thing that I was going to get to, sorry, T-Bag, uh, make notes of when your app expires. Make sure that you get your, your, your reapplication in 90 days before that date. But definitely for applying for renewals, make sure that you keep a copy of your receipt safe. That is the thing that will allow you to continue carrying your gun and buy ammunition for your firearm um, after your card says it's ex- it has expired. You'll be able to present your expired card with your receipt, proving that you have an application in to renew that. Uh, if you don't have that, don't carry the gun, leave it in the safe uh, because you, you you should be on the right side of the law still, but you're going to have to prove it and that might be very uncomfortable and potentially expensive. Sorry, see. Uh, that's uh, good to go. Cool stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. That was what I wanted to add. My apologies. Um, it hopefully doesn't happen too much anymore. There was a gun shop in Johannesburg that's now closed down that, that had some major issues with, with selling the same gun to multiple people and all sorts of dramas like that. Um, if the gun shop tells you that they're going to apply for your license on your behalf, um, they can't. So no one can apply for your license on your behalf. You have to go do it. So if anyone tries to do anything like that, once again, run away. No matter what they tell you about how well it's worked or anything like that, it's happened that guys have had licenses issued under circumstances where they shouldn't have, and at a later stage, the police then come and go, uh, actually, uh, you don't get to keep this gun. So if it sounds too good to be true, if it seems like a shortcut, if there's anything clever like that, it's not. There is a process to be followed. Um, as gun owners, we're generally the most law-abiding people around. Stick to that. Follow the process. Be law-abiding. Yep. Awesome. So the next thing that I have on our, our little, we're, we're trying to, we don't have a script because we're not smart enough for that. But we now have a list that we're trying to sort of stick to so that we. SMRT, smart. Yeah. <laughs> smart. So that we hopefully hit all the things that we want to talk about. Um, so, Tarek, I have applied for my competency. I am waiting for that to get approved. Do I go out and buy a gun as I hand in my competency application? Do I buy a gun and then I start the whole proficiency training process? Do I wait for my competency to be approved and then buy a gun? Um, it, it's completely up to you. 
Um, and, and there's advantages and, and disadvantages to, to whatever sort of process you follow. You can't apply for the license until you've got competency. They, they will no longer allow you to apply for competency and your license at the same time. Um, but you might find a hell of a deal. You might find a gun that you can't get, uh, you know, that, that, that's not easily available. Um, if, if this is your first gun, it's for self-defense, and that's what you're buying maybe reconsider that uh but you know you may find that whatever gun shop is running a special and, and you can get the gun you want at a hell of a price and they're not going to charge you a storage fee um then maybe buy it uh but understand that you can't do anything until you've got your competency so prices generally don't go down um if if this if you know what you want you know it might not be a bad idea to do a little bit of research while you wait for that competency as well you know, what your mates told you around the bry, what you saw in whatever movie may not actually be the greatest advice ever, unless it's get rid of that nickel-plated sissy pistol and buy yourself a Glock. Stop pointing at that piece of shit, Cornell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm you know, it's, for the for the record. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. You know, be careful. You you may be in a situation where, where you buy a gun from a gun shop that charges you storage fees from, from day one. I would think carefully about that. Uh, you may be in a situation where the gun shop says, well, they store, they charge you storage fees from 12 months after you buy the gun, which is reasonable. You know, it's costing, it's costing the money in insurance and space to have your gun there. Uh, so you need to factor that in as well to, to how you're buying it. But... You know, most gun shops are, are going to be, especially the better ones, are going to try and help you. You know, they're they're in the business of selling you guns. Um, so, yeah, it's there's 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 no hard and fast rule there. If if you find the gun that you want and and it's the right deal and it's the right thing and it's not going to cost you a fortune to wait an extra four months, buy it. If not, you don't need to. I'll add a little something to that because uh, I've seen guys do this. Um, they feel that they have to have a gun when they apply for proficiency. You, you absolutely don't. Right. Uh, not, for, not for proficiency when they, they apply for competency. competency. So what they do is they go, I have X amount in the bank right now that I can spend on the gun. And they buy whatever is X amount. Saving up for an extra four months, despite the fact that prices don't go down and prices might go up a little bit, um, saving up for four months and buying something that, that we're going to discuss selecting your first gun in a moment, but buying something a little bit more reasonable as opposed to something based just purely off of a financial bottom line is sensible. Um, so absolutely, if you find the right gun for the right deal and you have the money, buy the gun. If you find the right gun for the right money, but you don't have it, save up a little bit. Don't, don't compromise and buy something that is potentially questionable um, just so that you can have that 271 form sitting there waiting for the moment. So you can submit the moment that your, your competency comes through. That's not needed. There is nothing that forces you to apply for a license the moment your your competency is approved. And, and and there's obviously a balance with that as well. You know, rather better a Glock Gen 3 or a, a CZPO7 today than a Staccato P in 10 years. Uh, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, because I've also seen that where people go, well, you know, they, they've, they've wanted to buy a gun for years. Uh, but the one they want is really, really expensive. And it's, you know, we're not limited to just the one. So I wouldn't buy a piece of crap. I agree 100% with Corneille there. But uh, sometimes we need to kind of balance our our reality with our expect expectations as well. 
Yep. I, I wouldn't buy, I'm not going to mention any names, but I wouldn't <coughs> buy a revolver or a pistol from a company that went out of business in, now those guys go out of business like the early 90s. Uh, and there's still lots of their guns around. Uh, well, I suppose we could mention them. Star, Astra, um, those companies have been out of business for, like I said, since the, sometime in the early 90s is when they, they officially went under. Um, lots of those guns floating around. Some of them are brand new, pristine condition because they've never been shot. You cannot find parts. Magazines are massively expensive. You're better off saving for four months and buying something else. Um, so that doesn't mean that you, 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 you save up to buy like an expensive, rare, once-off custom built uh, heirlooms custom 1911 as your first gun because that would be ridiculous. Uh, just buy something that meets the criteria that we'll discuss in a moment, selecting guns um, at a price point that's affordable. Yeah, if you're still at a point of doing your, and I did this, if you're still at a point of completing your proficiency and or applying for your competency or waiting for the approval of your competency, that is the most ideal time for you to spend time, resources, and effort into researching what you want, what you can afford, what's going to work for you, et cetera, et cetera. So keep that in mind as well. You've got that fairly long time period where you can actually research and get into the the swing of things correctly without making any rash decisions. You can make ed- informed, educated decisions. So on the research, make sure that you get two or three points of view on whatever you're considering before you get it. Um, don't look at, don't just look at the internet for things that validate your choice. Don't just look for, uh, well, this 10 millimeter auto clock 29 it's the best Oi. Oi. And I should Oi. buy it do, as my first time gun. Do not blaspheme best millimeter. <laughs> Derek, Derek's That's all the millimeters. millimeters. No one has figured this out yet. <laughs> trying to buy. Derek has put two best millimeters aside for him while he tries to find the money to pay for them and decides which ones to take. Because 10 millimeters. Yes. Derek has bought but, a 10 millimeter. He doesn't know which one yet and he hasn't paid for it. But Derek has bought yeah. a 10 so that 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 was a that was a long-winded way to to hound on Terry Kubaga cool gun. Um, your first gun shouldn't be a cool gun. Your first gun should be a reliable, serviceable, affordable gun that you can shoot. Um, and I don't mean that you can shoot because you'll need to learn how to shoot, but something that can be shot. Don't buy something with a life expectancy of a thousand rounds because, believe it or not, there are guns out there that are rated to like. I don't know, 2,500 rounds or something is, is the... No, the old the, Sigma 380 was designed with a 2,500 oh, round service life. That's that's a month of shooting for, for guys who really like, get into Shoot. it. Um, like, don't buy that as your first pistol. Or any <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find a, find a nice way to say don't buy that. <laughs> don't fucking buy that. <laughs> I, I think uh, a couple of things to bear in mind when choosing that first pistol. One is... Like Todd Lewis Green gave us some really good advice. Uncommon guns are uncommon for a reason. Uh, I come across guys all the time who go, a Wolfenstein in 9.7 by 33 Estonian. Um, and they, and when you ask why, it's because, well, everyone's got a Glock or a CZ or a whatever. Um, this, you're not showing that you're a delicate flower. You're not showing that you're a, you're a unique snowflake. You're buying a, a tool. So if you're buying a self-defense pistol, the, the, you want to buy something that's practical. If you're buying a sporting gun, you know, if, if you're shooting a division where everyone's running a CZ Shadow 2 
and you decide that as a result, you're now going to go out and buy yourself a Steyr GB, um, it's probably not the cleverest idea ever. If you're buying a hunting rifle, you know, there's, there's, there's a CZ in 308 or a Hauer in 308 or a Ticker in 308, a really good starting point. Uh, going out and buying yourself something in 6.5 by 86S is really cool until you discover you can't buy ammo for it uh, and you struggle to get brass and that sort of thing. So resist the urge to show the world what a unique snowflake you are, especially with your first sort of purchases for any serious use, um, self-defense, hunting, or sport. Get something that that's going to fill uh, or tickle the practical boxes in, in what you need. And then if you get into this sort of hobby or lifestyle is probably a better description of it, um, then you can you can get more unique stuff. So you know, buy a Glock in nine mil, not a Glock in ten mil as your first as your first pistol. Uh, buy ten mil later because it's cool, but don't buy it's cool on your first gun. You know, I've seen a lot of guys get themselves in, <laughs> and 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 or, or end up with a lot of regret because now he's bought this gun and he can't get mags for it or he can't get a holster for it, he can't get ammo for it because while he wanted to be different, it's there's a reason you see lots of Uber drivers in Toyota Corollas. Um, you know, when, when you've got someone whose who's job it is to do lots of mileage in a car, maybe it's not a terrible idea to look at what cars they select and, and maybe that Fiat 500, as sexy as it is, isn't the best choice for that job. Uh, and it's the same thing with your pistol. Oh, if we jump back so. onto, if we jump back into research quickly, when you're researching for that first gun, make sure that you complement whatever research you're doing with what the local guys are doing and or using. Um, not everything overseas applies here. There's stuff that they can get quite a bit easier than us, both in Europe and and in the states. So keep that in mind that what you complement your research with, make sure that you're checking what the local guys are doing and using. And when it comes to selecting that first gun, typically I think for most of us here that first pistol is going to be for self-defense. So make sure that you're choosing something based on what you need for self-defense. And then as you develop or get used to the lifestyle or get more invested in it, then you can look at getting other guns that are going to be more suited to what you want. And they can be as unique as you want. As someone who bought a unique gun as my first firearm, my, my, my original carry gun, which is the thing that I was pointing out earlier that, that Terry has some strong feelings about. Um, <coughs> those feelings are love and hate. Um, <laughs> Um, buying a unique pistol is cool in your own mind. However, when you figure out that you have to get custom holsters made because you can't find holsters, you can only buy two or three magazines every six months because that's all that you can find. Um, you can buy carry ammo for it once every six months if you're willing to plonk down like 12 to 15 grand in ammo for the gun that we're talking about to buy out the entire supply that came in because you might not find that stuff ever again. Um, it makes testing the gun really difficult because it's not only expensive in testing, it's also every time that you fire a test round, you're depleting the supply of stuff you have for defensive purposes. And I don't mean you're depleting your supply, you're depleting the country's supply. Um, you can't just go out and, and, and buy more. Uh, to the point where I would say that your first pistol should be 9 more. Um, 9 by 19 nine buy something else weird like by 22 point <laughs> five um i i, I and I, I take that you know if, if you're buying let's look at a self-defense gun as as an example i would suggest looking buying a gun that you can carry um, and buying a gun that you can realistically carry even if your plan isn't to carry a gun 
you may find that that changes. A lot of people make the mistake of walking into a gun shop, picking up a gun and going, this feels nice in my hand. Guess what? That doesn't matter, especially if you don't know what you're doing. If you don't have a lot of experience shooting, you don't know what feels nice because you're probably holding it wrong. And even if you have a lot of experience shooting, you may very well find that what feels nice and what shoots best are not the same thing. Uh, if you're going to be carrying it, you're going to be carrying it a lot more than you're going to be shooting it and a lot more than you're going to be looking at it. So aesthetics are not hugely important. Um, they're actually not important at all if, if you're buying a self-defense tool. But I, I've had also, and I've made the mistake myself, I've played this game as well, where you go, I'll have no problem carrying this full-size service pistol with adjustable sights that weighs three and a half tons. Um, it's not going to be a problem because I'd never carried a gun before. Uh, start carrying one for a few years and you suddenly start discovering the sharp edges are not your friend. Um, so, you know, get get realistic advice um, and listen to people who've actually got experience with this. I, I think you're hard-pressed as a first gun to go wrong with something like a, a Glock 48 or a G43X or something along those lines. I'm obviously biased towards Glock, but, uh, you know, uh, a Smith... Uh, you know, a, a Smith Shield or a Glock 19 or a PO7 or a P10. Um, I wouldn't go any bigger than that for your first gun, and I wouldn't go much smaller than that unless your your particular requirements are really challenging. If you work somewhere where getting caught with a gun is going to have, obviously, we would never recommend you carry a gun where somewhere where you can't where you can't legally carry it. And if you have a company policy and you get fired because you decided to carry a gun, that's on you. No, that's not on us. Um, but uh, you know, if if you are in a situation where you need that maximum concealment, then maybe consider that. But people make the mistake often of thinking smaller guns are going to be easier to shoot because they're less intimidating, and generally they aren't. They're generally going to be harder to shoot because if you're shooting the same caliber, the smaller the gun, the less you've got to hold on to, the less weight you've got to absorb. Um, so select the gun with with some sort of logic. If you're buying if you're buying a hunting rifle. No matter how many Magnum magazines you read as a kid telling you that a 375 is the ultimate African all-rounder, uh, if you're not used to shooting a lot of rifle, that recoil may be more than you like. Um, it may be more expensive than you need. The gun you know, to shoot ammo may be too expensive. It may be a heavy gun to carry around. So unless you're going to be shooting a lot of, lot of dangerous game, that might not be a clever selection. Um, you know, I, I have a hunting rifle in 7x64. I think it's awesome. It's a beautiful caliber that speaks to my inner weirdo, but I'm not going to walk into every gun shop in the country and, and grab a box hammer. Uh, whereas if you've got a 308 or, or currently a 6.5 vegan, I mean Creedmoor, um, or one of those sort of calibers, there's a very good chance that, that almost every gun shop you're going to go into is going to have some ammunition for you. So if the airline lost your ammo or your ammo fell in the pool and you're on a hunt in Twerwilfels, met Ian Squirt, Rockers get Fontaine. Um, the local co-op <laughs> is very likely to have a box of 306 on the shelf. They're exceptionally unlikely to have a box of 6.5 Grendel on the shelf. Um, or, or 16 gauge shotgun or 28 gauge shotgun. Or So apply a little bit of practical um, thinking and, and, and switch off the snowflake for that, that those first sort of few practical I just want to jump back quickly to what Tarek was talking about on the smaller guns, smaller than your Glock 48s, 43X, etc. Typically, the smaller guns, not only are they a little bit more challenging to shoot if you're very new to shooting, they are more 
they require more of you from a technical skills point of view. They can be a little bit more difficult to get out the holster, to get involved in the gunfight, manipulate generally with uh, reloads, those kinds of things. So keep that in mind with the smaller guns as well. You might need a little bit more work in there. And if we jump back again to where we were saying that you should consider as your first gun a nine more, typically we're all very new to shooting at that point in time. And you as a person need to learn how to shoot. There's no point in having a caliber that's going to restrict you from learning how to shoot. So keep that in mind as well. Nine mil's cheaper, it's more available, and it is probably one of the easiest calibers to learn how to shoot in handgun. Also, it's also easy to reload. Which oh yeah. Some oddball calibers, the, the oddball that I chose, is not easy to reload. Um, getting something if you're going to shoot a lot, and the Terek is going to smile and nod when I say this because he has to. Um, you will void your warranty on your firearm, regardless of who the manufacturer is, when you shoot reloaded ammo through it. The end. That said, we all shoot reloaded ammo because reality is we have to shoot to get better and we're trying to manage costs in, in some way. Not advising that you do it. I'm just saying that a lot of people who shoot a lot do do it. Um, nine mil is a lot easier to load than some of the other things. Um, and cheaper to load. And One of the cheapest pistols. Cheaper to load. Well. It's easy to find bullets. Um, you have a, a, a reasonable, or you used to, I don't know what powders are available now, but you used to have a reasonable selection of powders that would work with 9mm. Uh, cases are really easy to come by. Primers are easy to come by. Uh, it's, it's not some weird oddball thing where you can't find cases and you can't find bullets. And you need some really special powder to make the, the correct sort of factors safely in that case dimension and things. None of that stuff with, with 9mm. 9mm is really easy to do. Um, and just... So something I think a lot of people sort of forget is if you're at your local indoor shooting range and you're the girl or the guy standing at the end of the line shooting tiny little groups in the left eyeball of your target, that's going to impress people a hell of a lot more than seeing that you've somehow managed to get the custom Bosto barrel in 357 sig for your Smith & Wesson Sigma. That um, now lasts 100 rounds. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's it's... <laughs> If, if you want to impress people, impress people with your skill, uh, not with your gear. Um, and, and, and something related to that as well, and it's a discussion I think I've, I've probably mentioned on the podcast, I've almost definitely mentioned on the podcast before. I've, I've mentioned it on the internet a whole lot of times, and I've had a discussion with someone about it this afternoon. Uh, a lot of people also make the mistake, for example, with, with self-defense guns of going, well, I have to have 16 shots, or this gun's great because it's got you know, an 18-round magazine or whatever. Um, that only counts if you have access to it. Uh, as I said to someone earlier today, a Glock 19 is a far better gun to get into a fight with than a Glock 42. A 16-round 9 mil is a far better gun to get into a gunfight with than a 7-round 9 mil short, except if the 7-round 380 is in your front pocket and the 16-round 9 mils at home in the safe. Uh, and, and I've come across too many people who seem to have this and, and, and it's it's advice I used to give to people that, oh, you want big mags and all of that. And yeah, you know, given the choice, it's nice to have. But then we see people not carrying a gun because in their mind they've gone, well, anything less than X is useless and I can't carry X. So I just won't, I'd rather, you know, I just won't carry a gun at all. Uh, you know, it, it's <laughs> it's the buying that 375 as a hunting rifle and then discovering that you can't shoot it and missing everything or wounding everything you shoot at because it's too much gun for you. Uh, you've got to be honest with yourself uh, about what your rea reality is and what your capabilities are. Something I'd also just like to touch on quickly related to this is 
when you're choosing a gun, you're also choosing a gun shop. Uh, and this is something where I see people go wrong all the time. And I'm, I'm not going to mention any shops in particular, but I come across guys all the time who want, they expect to pay the lowest possible price and have the best possible service. And as a rule, those things are mutually exclusive. Uh, good service, good good staff cost money. Uh, and, and one of those things that I, th- I think is really sad is people go into gun shop A, who's, which has someone who's super knowledgeable, super helpful, and they spend four hours of the guy's time ear-fucking him while he gives them really good advice. And then they shop around and find the gun 50 rand cheaper somewhere else and buy it from somewhere else. Especially when they go buy the gun at, at a, a super cheap place, and I, I kind of get a, a perverted joy out of it when they go somewhere, and then they get fucked around. Um, but they go, but but I saved a hundred rand over whoever else who, who would have taken good care of you. So don't just choose the gun shop you buy your guns from on price. Um, you know, it, it's like with a lot of specialty stores, you can develop a relationship there uh, if you find a. If you find a good shop with knowledgeable staff and and you build a relationship, you may find that your savings in the long term are worth more than what you save on that first that first go. Uh, and and the advice they give you, so the guy or the girl behind the counter, because you know we, there's those as well, um, who spent a bit of time with you and gave you good advice, uh, may have saved you more than they're charging you extra for the gun anyway. Um, and over the long term, when you when when they're giving you advice on other things, you may find yourself in the same in the same situation. So, it, it's something that I see quite often, and it, it it's kind of sad that people talk about wanting service and oh, I'm willing to pay for service, but I'm actually not because I just I want the absolute best deal. Uh, it, you know, it, everyone likes the deal, uh, but but think a bit long term. You know, there, there, there are places I buy certain products from. Sometimes they're a little bit more expensive. Sometimes they're a little bit cheaper. Unless they're a massive outlier, on, on, on average, you kind of work out. Um, and, you know, what? a lot of places will also take better care of their regular customers. If, if you've developed a relationship and you've been, and this is your gun shop and you've been going there and, and every time you buy something, you go in and you go, I bought myself a fence gun here, then I bought my sporting gun there, then I bought an AR, then I bought a hunting rifle, then I bought a shotgun, then I bought, oh, I bought a scope and I bought all of that. Um, in a lot of shops, that that's going to have a benefit for you. You know, there, there's going to be a, a, a preferred customer pricing. Um, you're not going to get that chopping and changing. You're not going to get that going. Well, so and so's, you know, a hundred rand cheaper, or so and so screwing me because they're mo- they they're so much more expensive. Sometimes sometimes they are. Like, I mean, it's not it's not bullshit. Sometimes they are. Sometimes it's because someone had a special where they're selling something at below cost, which I've seen. Um, or and and the other shops just got new stock in. At, at a different exchange rate or something. So go go out and, and look for a gun shop like you would look for a doctor. Um, you know, you, you hopefully didn't don't choose your surgeon based on who has the best rates. You hopefully choose things like that on who's going to do the best job. Uh, and you don't, if you don't choose them on, uh, yeah, doctor, look at this. This is green. And they go, you, you pick the one that doesn't vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's actually how I do it. But <laughs> doctor, is this supposed to be the shade of purple? Um, <laughs> but you know, like 
it, 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 there's so many things that, that people forget that, that get, get someone who's going to be able to, to take good care of you um, on the whole. And, and that might be a big chain. It might be a small shop. It's going to depend on where you are. Uh, but, you know, word of mouth has a lot of value. Um, and if, if you've got a whole lot of people telling you that this shop is awesome and they took good care of me, to me, and, and money where my mouth is, I'll, I'll spend a little bit extra. I, I bought my Dylan not at the cheapest place, but I bought my Dylan at the place where they gave me really good advice. They helped me set it up. And in the long term, when six months later or three months later or a week later, I did that in the wrong order, but you know what I mean? I phoned with the question. There was someone there to help me. There was someone there with experience with it, as opposed to someone going, uh, I don't, I, I, we sell them and, and, and this is the best thing because I sell it. So that's just, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox, but that's something important to me. So to pick up from, from what T said there, um, when you go into a gun shop that you haven't been in before and that you haven't purchased from before and where you don't have your sales guy, we all have, that's the dude. I, I stand here, I wait for that dude to be finished because I deal with him. Um, when you build up a relationship with, with a particular shop, if you go into a shop where you don't have that relationship built yet, go in with a clue about what you want to purchase. Um, this is not this is not a, a a general statement. I'm not saying that that most gun shops do this, but I have seen some isolated instances of this where people get talked into firearms that are less ideal for them, um, just because the salesperson gets a higher commission or prefers to sell a particular brand. Uh, or has had this thing in stock for the last six years and is trying to get rid of it. And you just happen to be clueless enough that they go, this dude's buying it. Um, and they can tell whether you're clueless or not. Now, doesn't mean that you have to go in there as the most knowledgeable person in the world. It doesn't mean that you need to go in there and fight with them. Uh, it just means that have sufficient ex- knowledge by doing some, some upfront research of the product that you want to get, that if an alternative is presented, you can say, yes, this is an adequate alternative and I'm happy with this. Or you can say, no, 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 give me the thing that I asked for. Or you can move along and go to a different gun shop. Just do that 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 pre-research just a little bit and, and just make sure that you understand what you're trying to get into. Um, on that, when you buy a gun, I don't care which brand it is, like all of them, I don't care which brand it is. I don't, don't care which shop you're, you're going to to buy it. Walk in there and when you buy your defensive pistol, before you hand over money, go, Show me service parts for this gun. Show me spare magazines. I don't care which brand it is. Okay, and there there are brands that have really good reputation for for being really well supported in this country, and there are brands that have a horrible reputation in terms of support. But sometimes you'll find that the shop that you've chosen to buy from has a poor uh, either a, a, a poor um, they do not see keeping stock of things like magazines and service parts on hand as an important item when they should. Um, now, if you're in a major center, that might not be a problem. They might be able to get stock from the, the distributor in an hour or two hours or whatever. If you're in some rural town somewhere and they only stock a certain gun, only stock a certain brand, you may want to buy somewhere else and buy a lot of spares and spare magazines at the same time, if at all possible. Um, because then you know that you're not going to be able to get that stuff readily at your chosen shop. You might still need to buy from that shop because they might be the only one in your area. But, but be prepared to to stock up on some things yourself if the shop won't do that. But that's another good point as well because 
Um, you don't have to purchase spares in that from that shop anymore, but you've got access to e-commerce now. There's quite a few online shops that stock spare parts and magazines, holsters, etc., for guns. Research local e-commerce or online stores as well to see what spares and magazines in that are available because that's become very viable. Exactly, it has. And that is particularly valid for stuff that can be purchased um, that is not regulated or isn't controlled. Um, there are some parts in guns that are regulated or controlled, and there are some um, things like ammunition for firearms, which is regulated. Uh, those you cannot buy. Well, I'm saying you cannot. You can buy online, but getting it shipped to you is going to cost you three arms and seven legs because it has to get specially couriered. They can't stick it on the... They, they, they can't just stick it on the local TNT or, or, or DHL van. Uh, it, it has to be specially done. Uh, so that and, costs more. And on the spares thing, because this is an argument that comes up, you'll get the mouth-breathing fanboys who go, well, if you buy brand X, it'll never break. Bullshit. If you've never broken a part on your gun and you've never replaced a part on your gun, you don't shoot as much as you think you do. Shut up. Um, it's one of those things that drives me up the wall when you get Muppets who go, well, if you just buy this, it's never going to break. They all break. I am the Glock distributor, the biggest Glock distributor in South Africa. Sometimes bits on Glocks break. They break less than almost anything else, but shit breaks. If you look at, uh, and I'll use an analogy, Toyota build exceptionally reliable cars. Um, and, and very few people, whether you like them or not, very few people would tell you that Toyota build bad cars. And if they did, they would probably be being a bit of an idiot. Um, and part of Toyota's appeal is, that you can get spares for them cheaply and everywhere. Uh, that doesn't mean that they, oh, you, people don't hear that and go, well, I won't buy a Land Cruiser because it's going to break. Um, no, you buy Land Cruisers because if it does break, you can get it back up and running. And guns are the same if something breaks because shit happens. Um, springs, there's, you know, like, there's only so much magic you can put into a spring. Um, something weird can happen. You can lose a magazine. All of a sudden, you're in a position where you have a non-functional gun. Uh, it's it's severely challenging when you can't get bits for that gun. And then you get the whole, and you see this on the internet all the time, it's not a problem. I'll get my friend in wherever to send the part. Now, besides the fact that your friend in Germany is going to go to prison if they find him or her shipping gun parts out the country, and the same thing could happen in the States, uh, when you're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic and all of that is shut down, guess what? You have a club, a short-handled, inefficient club. So don't listen to bullshit about, oh, this never, buy one of these, it never breaks. They all break. Um, the more you use them, it's a mechanical device. The more you use it, the more chance it has of breaking. Make sure it's something that you can keep working if it does break. Uh, and more importantly, or as importantly, something that you can maintain to avoid breaking. Because as we discussed in another show, um, you know, we service our cars. We don't wait for them to break. Uh, I need to be able to do the same thing with my pistol. When it's time for a new recoil spring, I need to be able to buy one, not go buy big pens and pull the springs out of them and try and braid them together. I'm going to rent a Preventative maintenance. <laughs> yeah, it's not a dirty word. I, I'll, I'll link to that, to that show. Um, it is true that regardless of what gun you own, if you shoot it, and that's the important bit, if you shoot it, eventually you're going to need parts. Um, if you never shoot it, chances that you'll need parts diminish rapidly. Um, if it never leaves the safe, 
chances you'll need parts probably zero. Uh, I have a I have a friend who uh, um, used a very he shot a very well known brand of of pistol, uh, and I'm not going to mention the brand because uh, it's not a fair sort of thing on them. But it was one of those things where he got a competition pistol. The day he got his license and got it home, he was dry firing it, and the trigger spring broke. Uh, that's not it's not a, a dig at that at that pistol. It's a shit happens thing. Uh, so weird things can happen. And if you're buying a life saving tool, you don't want to you don't want to be taken out of action by that. Yeah, you need to remember that because they're mechanical. Um, this specific spring might have a rating of typically five thousand rounds, but that's not always the case. It's manufacturing. There's tolerances. There's different batches of materials. You might just have a bad spring. Something went wrong and the spring broke way prematurely within the first 500 trigger pulls, for example. It's one of those things. Guns are mechanical, same as cars, same as many other mechanical things we use. And service preventatively. Exactly. So the the big manufacturers are building millions of guns. Um, And they're building not just parts for each of those guns, they're building spare parts for each of those guns. Um, All the good ones are. All the good ones are. (laughs) Was the, the major manufacturer? So, if they have a one percent failure rate on parts and things, I mean, someone's getting a part that fails at some point. That's bad out the box, uh, and a one percent failure rate is pretty damn brilliant as things go. But someone is eventually going to get a broken part that comes out the box broken. Unfortunately, you deal with it, and the way you deal with it is you stick in a spare part, um, provide spare parts available. The other thing I'm going to mention quickly before we move on to to the next segment, hopefully, um, magazines. And we, we've been talking about buying new guns and having the shops show you the magazines. If you're buying used guns, um, I wouldn't trust the magazines that came with the used gun unless you stick some new springs in it. And sometimes you stick a new follower in it. Okay. You need to go test those things. I, I wouldn't trust them unless I've done that. Um, I would be much more inclined to just buy new magazines for carry can shoot those other magazines at the range, but for carry, I would just buy new magazines. That's provided that there are magazines available. Um, there are uh, Special Armory in South Africa collects rare, oddball, weirdo magazines, and you can buy them from them. Um, I don't know what the pricing and things are like, but as all rare, rare, oddball, scarce things are probably expensive. Uh, it's not also, if, if someone has the only one of something, it's not expensive. <laughs> if you need a magazine for your your Viz 35 radon and they have a magazine for your Viz 35, I think it was a Viz 35 radon. Guess what? Whatever their price is, yep. there's no point going, I can, it, it's too much if you can't buy it anywhere else. Exactly. So they do a, a, a good thing in making some of those magazines available where they can find them. And then there is a, there is a company in South Africa, I'm not quite sure where they're based, but they make magazines. So they, they form new tubes and things. Again, expensive. Uh, you want factory mags um, or there are limited aftermarket manufacturers that, that can be trusted in certain brands. If you have to have custom magazines made for your gun, you're probably going to have some failure at some point um, because one-off things are not being done to the same tolerances as the mass manufactured stuff. Just bear that in mind. So if you buy that weirdo gun that went out of business, the company went out of business in 1992 and you buy it basically unused, but it came with one magazine and you now need to try and find magazines. That thing may end up cost, costing you more money than a, a, a new Gen 3 Glock would have cost you by the time you've bought a couple of magazines because scarce and relatively expensive as a result. Um, so bear that in mind. 
we're not advising not not to buy secondhand guns, but if you do, just be careful, evaluate them sensibly. Um, make sure um, just yeah, and to touch on that further, when you do buy a new gun, most guns are shipped or are sold with two magazines in total. When you purchase that first gun, make sure you do get a couple extra mags. Um, my sort of minimum is like between five and six magazines for any of the guns that I have. Typically, I'll have two that are dedicated to EDC or self-defense, and the others will be used for range use in training, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, my, my gun that I, 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 I shoot, that I have the least magazines for is six. Uh, and that is the least. And I don't feel comfortable with that number. I just haven't been able to find more, uh, which is a problem in itself. But yeah, I, I agree with Gaz, at least six. Uh, if you're going to be shooting it a lot, you probably want some more mags. And we covered this in the maintenance episode, so we won't go over too much detail. But if you can spread the wear over 10 magazines, they're going to last longer. Each individual one's going to last longer than if you shoot the same number of rounds through five magazines. It's just, you're spreading the load. Um. <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to move along after those, those choice words. Uh, <laughs> essential equipment for, for a first-time gun owner, uh, T. So if we're talking defensive guns, I guess, because that's going to be most people's first time. So you're going to need at least a holster or two for it. Um, you're going to need, uh, if you're going to be carrying it, a good quality belt. Um, you're probably going to need a cleaning kit. Uh, you're definitely going to need a, some good quality lubricant. Uh, the, the aforementioned sort of things like spare mags, if you've got spare mags, spare mag holders and that as well. Uh, Without a doubt, you want eye protection and ear protection for when you go shooting. You don't want to use the ranges, sort of crappy stuff lying around. You want your own eyes, and ears, especially in the, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and you buy a $5 helmet for a $5 head. So get the best eye and ear protection that you, you can afford. That doesn't necessarily have to be super expensive, um, but, but get something decent. Don't, don't get sort of shitty hardware store specials because you've only got one set of eyes and one set of ears. Um, you don't need a huge amount in the way of gimmicks. Uh, people want to buy all sorts of weird sort of labor-saving devices. Um, what you need to do is you need to go shoot your gun, preferably under the sort of tutelage of a decent instructor who can teach you how to shoot it better. What you don't need to do is buy Punisher backplates. Um, or Damn. Weird. Sorry? Cancel my order. <laughs> Punisher black. Yeah, unless you're a vigilante whose family was murdered, you don't get to put Punisher on anything, really. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know. Dodge that bullet. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, decent eye protection, decent ear protection, um, a holster, you know, once again, even if you're not going to be carrying the gun, or if you're not a, not planning on carrying the gun, a holster gives you a convenient thing to put the gun in when you go to the range. Um, and and it'll, it'll allow you to do a little bit of training. So, you know, everyone, I, I kind of think everyone needs like a decent outside the waistband holster for all their guns. Even if you're carrying appendix or carrying in, in an ankle holster, a pocket holster, whatever, um, there's, there's some venues where that's not going to be usable. Uh, so a, a decent outside the waistband, uh, waistband, you know, Reasonable Kydex holster can be can be got pretty cheaply, um, and it'll be a useful thing. You'll get good value out of it. Yep. Something to add to that: uh, ammunition. 
Um, I was just going to say that. Okay, yeah. you, you, you continue on. I'll, I'll fill in. <laughs> so you're going to um, talk. Uh, I thought I was doing pretty well, but uh, one are. of the things you want to make sure you get with a, with a gun when you go fetch it is some ammunition. Um, I Normally, when you're getting your first gun, you're not going to be set up to be reloading, typically. So you want to get some like sort of normal range ammunition, which can be a good quality, um, cost-effective factory load. It could be some um, reloads, although I wouldn't really recommend that. I would go with low uh, a good cost-effective uh, cost FMJ ammo, and most importantly, you need to buy yourself a couple of boxes of the most available and best quality self-defense ammo jacketed hollow points that you can get. And you want to be testing those jacketed hollow points properly in your gun, and that's where I'm going to let corn take over from that. So I I differ slightly in in opinion from Gaz on this one, and the only reason I differ is because most people who buy their first gun is, are not going to have DSS, which means you're going to be limited to 200 rounds of ammunition for that gun. I would recommend your first 200 rounds buy FMJ, and I'm going to highly recommend that you don't buy any reloads of any sorts from anyone. Unless you're loading those things yourself, you shouldn't trust them. Buy 200 rounds of FMJ, go and shoot that through the gun. Make sure the gun functions, okay? Then go back, then buy some good quality full metal jacket ammo that is available and in South Africa, that's probably going to be Winchester Ranger T. Um, you mean dollar point, not full metal jacket. Yeah. Ah, sorry. Yes. J- 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 jacket dollar okay. point. Um, for, for the most part, that is probably going to be uh, uh, Ranger T's in South Africa. It just seems to be the most available and, and the most readily available. There are some fantastic other brands, but uh, at least in my experience, availability is a little bit spotty. Um, that doesn't mean that Ranger T isn't spotty. Like I've I've seen that stuff sold out to the point where you can't find it anywhere. Uh, but generally, you'll be able to get those. Um, so once you find those first two hundred rounds of the gun, if everything worked fine, uh, you can then move on to actually testing those hollow points and making sure that they feed in your gun and they actually shoot point of aim, point of impact. Um, and we're not going to get into details on how you function test in the show. We could probably make that as, as a separate show because I think it's beyond the scope of what we're trying to cover. Uh, yeah. Buy FMJ, shoot 200 rounds of FMJ, make sure they function. Then buy uh, jacket roller points, test them, make sure they work. And if they work, go back and buy more uh, so that you have enough to fill your gun and some spare because you're going to need to cycle that stuff out in six months or a year uh, or maybe a little bit longer if you're not unloading and reloading your gun all the time. But there will be a, there will be a time when you'll need to replace those. I, uh, I would also just on that, <laughs> Something to bear in mind, if you don't have DSS or dedicated status, so you're not a dedicated sports person or dedicated hunter where the ammo limit doesn't apply to you, um, if you buy ammunition at a shooting range that is a gun shop and you shoot it at that range, it isn't part of your... So you can possess 200 rounds of ammo. You can walk in the shop with 200 rounds of ammo if you've got a license. You can walk out the shop with 200 rounds of ammo. If you can afford it, you can shoot 2,000 rounds of ammo in the shop while you're there. You just can't leave with any more. So that's something to bear in mind um, that, that is an option. Um, on that note, I would, I'm going to agree, I, I, I wouldn't buy any sort of reloaded ammunition. Uh, I would also go, I would rather, when it comes to self-defense ammo, 
rather buy 100 rounds of Magtech Bluebox box hollow points if that's what I could afford to function test my, through my gun than 20 rounds of, of something Super Death Lani that I can't afford to function test. Super Death Ninja trademark pending. Hmm. TM. <laughs> so that's something to bear in mind as well. Um, you know, it's stay away from sort of weird designer stuff um, and, and go shoot your gun. Don't assume that your gun works. Don't assume that because it says nine millimeter in your gun and nine millimeter in your ammunition, that those two things are going to work together. If you're buying a, a modern high quality pistol, generally they're going to run straight out the box. Um, but I've seen some weird things. I've, I've had a, I've had an HK have a malfunction on factory ammo with its first Mac. Again, never had another malfunction. I think in the entire time I owned it, but it had a malfunction in its first Mac. Uh, so you want to, you want to get, you want to shoot that gun a little bit and you ideally want to try and get decent training sooner rather than later. Don't, you know, it, it's kind of like going, I'm, I'm going to join a gym as soon as I lose these 20 kgs. Uh, no, you join the gym to lose the 20 kgs. Don't go, well, when I learn how to shoot better, I'll go get some basic firearms training. Uh, it doesn't work like that. You get the training so that you learn how to shoot better. And the, 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 your proficiency training is not advanced skills. And sorry, I can't playing with my mouse. Um, <laughs> your proficiency training is, is an introduction. It was probably four months ago. Um, it might have been seven months ago. You know, if you've done your proficiency training, you've got your competence, you've got your license, it might be seven, seven months to a year between you doing that and you now having that gun at home. Uh, so go find some training. And I'm going to be honest, everyone seems to be wanting to find tactical training uh, because that's the buzzword. If you can't handle the gun safely and if you can't put a bullet within reasonable proximity of where you want that bullet to go, uh, you have no business looking for tactical training. Absolutely. Yeah, at that point, it's a, it's a case of learning how to shoot and people need to understand that. Different set of skills, different set of mechanics and technical understanding for, for shooting. Exactly. So Tarek has, has rolled on into the next section by, by starting to discuss training. Sorry. Fantastic. No, no, that's fantastic. That's I didn't have to perfect, it. T. We were there anyway. So <laughs> I was about to mention it. Um, fundamentals training should be your first thing that you go and train. And in fundamentals, you're going to get taught some very basic things. You're going to be taught the fundamentals of shooting. It's not, it shouldn't involve Honda rolls. It shouldn't involve tactical mag flips and slick reloads. Um, it shouldn't involve drawing your pistol with your left hand from small of back on the right hand side because you might be injured in a gunfight. Um, I'm confused now. <laughs> I'll show you one day. I'll show you. <laughs> You're obviously not advanced enough, guys. I, I, I oh, don't obviously. know if I can still do that, but I have been taught how to do that. And uh, it, it has no place in fundamentals classes at all. In fundamental class, they're going to show you that you shoot minute of barn at 10 meters. And by the end of the class, you should hopefully be shooting minute of man from the same distance. And then with practice, you will tighten that up a lot more. Um, I'm just going to shooting go... minute of man at the end of my fundamentals class. I'm going to be quite pissed off with myself. Well, so what you, you do, have it, folks? What what you do it <laughs> as the last thing in Terex class? You shoot minute of man. Okay, so you, you you shoot you shoot one whole groups for the whole day, and then it's the last thing you do is you shoot minute of man just to piss them off. <laughs> When's your next fundamentals class? The, the 12th, 12th of September. 
So the 12th of September, you can go and learn how to shoot one one whole like groups and then uh, remember to shoot minimum man at the end of it. Um, I'm going to hop back to, uh, I've forgotten what I wanted to say because, oh, it's about, about shooting minute of man. Um, when you first go and shoot, your gun is probably going to shoot low and left as a right-handed shooter. Okay. It's to reset to factory settings. Do not, <laughs> do not adjust your sights or your picture. Okay. It's probably you. If you have a genuine reasonable suspicion that the gun is truly not zeroed, get someone with experience shooting firearms to verify that the gun is zeroed for you. However, I'm going to tell you that in 95% of cases, it is the shooter and you need to go to a fundamentals class to go and learn how to not do that shit. It is you, not the gun. Uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't rare occasions when it could be the gun, but I'm going to tell you that it is rare. Go to fundamentals class. They'll show you how to confirm zero on your guns, how to shoot tight groups, and uh, how, how to do the, the, the fundamentals the correct way. So you're off to a and, good start. And safe manipulations. That's very, very important. Safe manipulations are very important. Um, and malfunction clearing. Finger high and register is always a popular one. <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason, when it comes to guns and that sort of stuff, and, and men specifically mixing with guns, there seems to be a lot of ego that gets in the way. When you're a new gun owner, don't let your ego get in the way. Rather be eager to learn about it. Shooting can be fairly difficult when you start. Uh, it can, uh, it's got quite a bit to do with hand-eye coordination, those kinds of things. But anybody can learn how to do it proficiently if you are willing to learn and listen and understand. And that's especially where that sort of fundamental shooting class is going to come into play for you. So get onto one of those as soon as possible. You'll get taught all the right things. You'll get put on the correct path as soon as possible, which means that you don't have all of those hours that you've spent developing bad habits from collecting your gun, which is very important. It's much easier to learn good habits than it is to unlearn bad habits. Exactly. Un unlearning takes a lot of mental energy. Uh, we're just learning it correctly in the first place is substantially easier. Uh, I did a video recently on what to take to your, your, your first firearms training course and all of that stuff is largely irrelevant to this discussion go watch it if you if you need some tips on that but the only thing that truly matters is the very last thing i said it's an open mind go to if you go to an instructor's course you're paying them for their course the way that they teach it and the skills that they prioritize you might not agree with that at the end of the class even though as someone who is going to your first training class you honestly have no basis for or disagree um, take an open mind, um, arguing with them because the dude on, I don't know, Instagram who speeds up his shooting videos said that <clears throat> it would be better if you did it in some, I don't know, some other way. Um, doesn't matter. That dude isn't there and he speeds up his Instagram videos anyway. So <laughs> go with an open mind, do things the instructor tells you to do them. There is probably a really good reason why they tell you to do it that way. And if you have questions, ask the good ones will be very happy to tell you why they do things in a particular way. Um, and they might be able to suggest alternatives if you have difficulty doing in that particular way, but they'll have a preference on, on how to do it. Um, it's based on the way that they, they choose to teach and the proper way that they do it. That, that's actually a, a big point is when you're on any kind of course, questions are important. It doesn't matter what the question is. Uh, it depends on where you are and how you think and what you're applying. Just, 
ask questions, questions, questions. I've never been on a course with any of the instructors that I've been on where they haven't been happy or at least willing to indulge those questions and answer them to the best of their ability so that they can, at the end of the day, assist me in understanding better. There are no stupid questions unless I ask them, apparently. (laughs) There are no stupid questions. Sometimes there's just stupid people asking questions. But... (laughs) As a rule, instructors are going to be very happy if you're asking questions. Um, they thrive on it because it means you're paying attention. There's nothing worse for an instructor to to teach a bunch of blank faces um, who, who just don't interact. So, you know, I, I was saying on on every class uh, in every class, if you've got a question, ask it uh, because you're not just helping yourself; you're helping everyone else in that course who may have that question and are too embarrassed to ask it, or may not know that they need to ask that question yet. So if you're going to instruct, you know, you may get told we're going to get to that and, and that's fine, but uh, I, I, there's not an instructor I, I know who's, any, who's worth their salt who are not going to respond well to you asking questions. Um, you know, don't, don't be there to snipe. Don't, don't be the guy, and it's generally a guy, it's very really a girl, who's there to show everyone in the class how clever they are and, and how much more than the instructor they know uh, because you fuck up the experience for everyone else as well. Yeah, they, they didn't pay to go and see you. They're there yeah. to learn from that instructor. If they wanted to learn from you, offer a course. Yeah. Let them pay you for it. Um, good point. That's also, that's actually, if we follow on with that, another good point is that don't be afraid to learn from your classmates during that mm-hmm. that that session. They're going to be going through different phases. Maybe some guys are slightly ahead of you. Maybe some guys are newer than you. You can learn from someone who's advanced and you can learn from someone who's maybe not as advanced or at the level that you're at at the moment. So be open-minded in in that sense as well, that you can learn from your classmates as well as the instructor there. You're basically one system for that class. Yeah. What I will say on that is uh, I have been to some classes where I was asked by uh, my opinion on things, not just by the instructor, but also by some of the students. I am. This doesn't mean you have to be. I am a little bit wary of answering those sorts of questions in in the class because, again, they're there for the instructor's time, not mine. Um, I might have the, the necessary experience to, to to give sensible advice, but I, like I might. It. I mean, sorry, but I might sorry. not. <laughs> T Rex being a real bitch tonight, uh, but but I, but I might not. I, I might not be in a position to give you good advice, or I might be telling you something that is contrary to something that the that the instructor is presenting and that might ruin the experience for you entirely. Uh, so if someone asks you a question, turn it into a question, throw it back to the instructor uh, and get them to answer it, even if you have to uh, ask a question a couple of times or in a couple of different ways to, to get an answer that, that that is clear. I would rather kick that back to the instructor than try and answer it uh, myself. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and, and a note, YouTube is not an instructor. Uh, podcasts uh-huh. are not an instructor, uh, except for this one, obviously. Um, but but in all seriousness, the, the internet is a really, really useful tool. Um, the internet is, has changed things in every field dramatically, and, and info that, that used to be a massive challenge to get is now easily available. The plus side to that is good info is easily available. The downside to that is really shitty info is very easily available. So, and, and the problem with learning, you know, with, with, with most sort of self-instruction, the problem is the more you know, the easier it is to learn because the better your bullshit will be. So take advantage of the fact that there are, there's internet forums, there's podcasts, there's YouTube videos, there's, there's Facebook groups, whatever. 
Um, but be very careful of following anyone blindly, um, you know, except obviously for us. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Don't follow us blindly. <laughs> yeah, no, especially not us. But, you know, sort of a, a apply a little bit of logic. Um, if, if, if one person has a very contrary opinion to, to sort of the mainstream, it's not generally because they've got a really clever idea that no one ever thought of. Um, you know, 99 people marching out of time, but at least I'm in step sort of thing. So, you know, there's there's good tools out there, uh, but verify, you know. Uh, don't trust, but verify. Uh, if it's a YouTube channel, if it's a, if it's a podcast like this, um, don't don't just take it blindly. You know, it's, it's a problem people had back in the day that if it was written in a book, it must be true because it's written in a book. And the problem now with the internet is every idiot with a keyboard or in our case a microphone um, can share their opinion with you. Uh, and, and sometimes it's not that it's their best opinion. Sometimes it's just that it's the loudest. Uh, sometimes the loudest opinion is the best opinion. But, you know, the, the more you know, the more you educate yourself. And, and th that covers all sorts of things. You know, people get bad advice on the legal use of defensive firearms, um, bad advice on, on the hardware side of things, bad advice on the, on the software, on the, on the shooting side of things. Um, the, the more you educated you are, the better tool you have to filter that info that's coming through to you and going, this guy seems to be knowing, seems to know what he's talking about on X, Y, and Z. So there's a, which I do understand. So there's a good chance on A, B, and C, which I don't, he has a bit of a clue. Um, but if he's talking complete bollocks on X, Y, and Z, uh, which I do understand, and then he says something on A, B, and C, be very careful about following that advice. So just another way other than, than trying to verify sources on the internet by, by getting a couple of contrasting views, um, sports shooting, despite the, the fact that you will get killed on, killed the, street. on the streets. <laughs> if you get involved in sports shooting, if you go do some sports shooting, not only are you going, your, your fundamentals going to be a world ahead of guys who you just to me all the time. Um, you'll also make friends with people who have more experience than you do. And you'll, you'll make friends who have varied experience. Some guys are pure competition shooters. They don't carry guns. Some guys carry guns and they shoot the occasional match. Some guys live both worlds. Um, but you'll have people that you know and trust you can bounce things off of if you need to verify something. So if you've seen something on the internet and you go, I, I, I'm not sure if this is true. This sounds plausible. I can go, Gaz, you're a beast of a competition shooter. Is it true that if you do X, Y, Z in the morning, that you shoot better. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and obviously the answer is yes. If he does that in the morning, he does shoot better. But, <laughs> but you'll have people who are knowledgeable and who you trust and who have no sort of good reason to fuck with you, except for the ones who have good reason to fuck with you. <laughs> Derek, um, we'll give you solid advice. I have a sweetness and light to everyone except you. I know. I'm saying <laughs> They don't have a concrete reason to fuck with you unless they do. <laughs> uh, so that, that moves us on to what I think is going to be our wrap-up of, of this, which is uh, your first time carrying your firearm as a legal gun owner. So we covered some of the stuff in the EDC episode, and I'll link those. Um, make sure that your firearm is actually covered. Now, concealed is what we're aiming for because we don't want people to know that we're carrying a gun. Before but we jump legal... into concealment, Sorry, guys, make sure that the gun is in a good quality holster, not just your pants. Yes. 
Yes. So that the, the, the section that we did on essential equipment where you need a quality holster that is fit for purpose, um, don't shove guns down your pants. Uh, that's that's generally considered bad. Um, in fact, I can't think of any reason why that wouldn't be considered bad. It's generally considered bad. Let's just call it bad. Uh, <laughs> um, make sure that your gun is covered when you leave the house the first time. Said. Concealment is what we aim for because that is the safest way that we can carry guns and make sure that we don't become targets uh, of opportunity for other people. But the legal requirement is you're going to be covered. Be sure it's covered. Um, try to not pick at it all the time. Uh, when you first start carrying one, you're going to incessantly check that the gun is still there because guns magically disappear from holsters that like are built to keep them. Because uh, I remember when I started carrying, I had to check that thing every couple of minutes just to be sure. Uh, it's it's weird, but it's true. Uh, you you sometimes lift your shirt to check. Sometimes you just feel it. Uh, you tug at stuff. You push at stuff. It's going to be uncomfortable for a while carrying a gun. Now, I'm saying it's going to be uncomfortable for, for a while. It's going to be really uncomfortable for a while. It gets better. It never stops being uncomfortable. Okay. It never stops being uncomfortable. You, you're going to learn to live with it as a bit of a masochist. But for a while, it's going to be truly uncomfortable carrying it. You'll sort that out by figuring out where to optimally carry the gun and maybe by swapping out holsters and things eventually as you as you figure out what, what works better. Um, T-Bag? Um, yeah, I think uh, one of the things is it's going to be, it's going to, as Corneau said, it's not going to be super comfortable sort of power through. Uh, also remember why you're carrying a gun. You're not carrying a gun to be a vigilante. You're not carrying a gun to intimidate people, impress anyone, or to be a policeman. If you want to be a policeman um, or a police official, then you need to go find your local Metro Police or the South African National Police Service or South African Police Service and attempt to become a policeman. If if not, that's not why you have a gun. If you're carrying a gun for self-defense, it's that it's to defend lives, um, your lives and people you care about lives or even strangers' lives. It's not there to administer justice. It's not there so that you can go do stupid things that you wouldn't do without a gun. Uh, so please bear that in mind. Don't don't think, oh, I've got my gun. I can do X. If you wouldn't do it without your gun, don't do it with your gun. Uh, if you're carrying a gun around with you, be very careful of a couple of things that get people in stupid trouble. Try not uh, try not take it off. You know, people go to the bathroom. They take the gun off, they stick it on the system of the toilet, um, and then they're halfway home and they suddenly realize that they're, they're a shorter pistol in this country. That's very likely going to mean that you're not going to own guns anymore and you could even theoretically end up in prison. So please, please, please be, be mindful of this thing and mindful of the responsibility that comes with, with carrying a gun around. It is the most useful defensive tool you can keep handy. Um, but the consequences of you making a mistake are, are pretty serious. So when you when you're carrying it around, don't don't use it as a as a thing to intimidate people. Don't use it as a thing to sort out traffic arguments. Um, that's not what it's there for. And to be honest, I don't think most of the people listening to this, or most people who would buy a gun, or most people would do that. Uh, but occasionally, people do do kind of stupid things and go, well, I've, I've got the gun because it's a lot easier to put a gun into a fight than it is to take a gun out of a fight. Uh, and I know a guy who's in a situation where uh, what started as a, as a road rage thing involved someone getting out of a car with a tire iron 
And my mate drew a gun, pointed it at him, and the guy said, so shoot me. Uh, you, you're now in a position where you can't shoot him, um, but you also have a very hard time taking that gun out of the fight so or, or out of the situation. So be, be aware of that. Um, don't go out and get pissed. Um, you know, if, if you're going to go out drinking with, with your mates, um, you know, if you're going on a boys' night or a girls' night and the, and the goal of, of, of that night is to drink heavily, that's not a day to be carrying your gun. Um, just like you wouldn't drive your car, hopefully, uh, lock your gun in the safe, take an Uber to the, to the, the, the pub or the club, and then take an Uber home and, and rely on other means of keeping you safe. Don't, don't go out and get hammered while, while carrying your pistol. Um, it's just not a clever idea. Uh, so, yeah. Important on that, um, lots of guys uh, on the internet and, and in person will tell you that they always carry a gun. They always carry a gun. I'm a dude who always carries a gun, and I can tell you categorically that I don't always carry a gun. Um, if I have the option of carrying a gun, I will have a gun on me. Okay, so I, I, won't, I won't leave my firearm at home and choose to not carry unless I am going to SARS where I can't legally carry or I'm going to go hop on an airplane to fly somewhere where I can't legally carry. Um, or as T said, we're going out for a boys' night. I will leave my firearm at home in those instances because even though in that instance I can legally carry, it is seriously, seriously questionable. Um, you, you probably shouldn't. Um, so despite what people tell you as a, as a new gun owner, I always carry a gun and you cannot leave the house without a gun and you must always have a gun on you. And okay, That isn't reality for gun owners. Despite what they tell you, that isn't reality. Lots of guys claim to carry big pistols all the time and they carry little pistols. Lots of guys claim that they carry four spare mags all the time. They don't carry one spare mag most of the time. Um, the, the world is full of people who, who uh, over-exaggerate what they do on a daily basis uh, and let them be, let them do their thing. That's it's their thing. It doesn't matter. What you just need to understand is sometimes you're going to have to leave the house without a pistol. It is okay. Most people, by the time they get a firearm in this country, there are exceptions. There are guys who get them much younger and there are the older generation who got them younger, but most guys are going to be at least 21 when they get their first offensive firearm. You've managed to go 21 years without a gun you're not all of a sudden in a position where you now can't go without a gun for one day. Uh, if you have the option of taking it, take it, but sometimes you don't. So don't get wrapped around the axle on that. I have to have it. Sorry, by, by the same token, though, if possible, carry a gun. Yep. Um, one of the most important lessons... <coughs> sorry. Yeah, what, one, of the, one of the most important lessons, to quote the, the late Patrick Rogers, was carry your damn gun all the damn time. If you can carry a gun, carry a gun. Um, don't don't think you're going to carry it when you're expecting trouble or for the classic long trips late at night. Um, yes, there's times where you can't carry a gun. You're going to make make another plan, but if possible, carry a pistol uh, and 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 make sure that you've got one that you can carry and make sure that you've got a means that you can carry it, um, even if it is suboptimal. Uh, you know, there, there's <laughs> the way a lot of people on the internet describe how they live with guns, as Cornet said, is not the reality. And as I say, if that reality involves you've got a Ruger LCP in your front pocket, is it first prize? No. Is it better than no gun? Hells yes. So do what you can to carry a gun and do what you can to make sure that you carry that gun for no reason. Uh, if you never, ever have to draw that gun and never have to use it for its intended purpose, 
you are well ahead of the game. Another thing to consider is that when you are carrying your gun and uh, you're, it's your first time out or whatever the case might be. Kaz? I think Gaz was about to drop a really useful nugget and we just lost it. Do you think the phone died? <laughs> I think it might have. We don't know what Gaz is about to say. We, we're, we're 100% convinced that it was going to be epic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think we've all just missed the silent Bob moment, ladies and gentlemen. I apologise, uh, but I think we've just missed great wisdom. I suspect so. Let's let's see if he's hopping back on. Uh, he he hasn't sent. He's sending something. Uh, <laughs> we can confirm his phone died. Um, Gaz is using a phone to plug in a fancy mic into because that's the way the setup works, and his power adapter that we need to make it run permanently hasn't arrived yet. Um, so, sorry for that. <laughs> Do you think? Shall we? Uh, shall we wrap this up? Yeah, I think so. Unless there's something that we we have uh, skipped over that we really should be discussing. No, I think I think we've covered most everything. Obviously, if anyone has any questions, uh, there's the welcome to the gun show group. You're always welcome to to post any questions there, and uh, we can either try and we can chat about them there. We can chat about them on the thing on the show. Um, you can always, uh, if you're on Facebook, you can also uh, message the page um, with your questions if there's anything that, that didn't make sense here, and uh, we can try and cover it at a later stage. Awesome. Uh, we appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. Uh, obviously, you've gotten this far. You're uh, you're one of the uh, the, the dedicated. Uh, we've had fantastic uh, reception on our full episodes, and it looks like the uh, the Q and A episodes are are gaining traction. Uh, it looks like people are getting actual value out of those being short little segments answering specific questions. Um, I think that's that. Later, losers.